Let me read you some of the some of the stats from the Bible I have here. How often this is talked about. This subject in the Bible so dominates it. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible mentions this subject. Of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, there are over 300 references to this exciting future event. That's more than one once a chapter. 23 of the 27 New Testament books mentions this event, this exciting event. Like I said, beyond everything else. In the Old Testament, it's talked about by Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, as well as most of the minor prophets. Christ spoke about this. The apostles declared it and wrote about it. And throughout the centuries, Christians, followers of Christ, have adamantly believed in it and looked forward to it more than anything else. What are we talking about there? What are we saying about, right? Jesus is coming. Jesus came the first time, but he's coming again. And when he comes, it's going to be an expression I've been picking up lately, a game changer, a life changer. There's more excitement, uh, more newness, just more of all the good and best things you could possibly think of. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. Excuse me, I gotta get wired for sound. Is that better, guys? Okay, good. Oop. <laughs> Sorry, thought I was loud enough. So the next question is let me see if I got my little clicker thing working. Are you ready? Jesus is coming again. He is coming. You have to ask yourself this morning are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Let's read the passage this morning. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We've been studying through the book of Luke, and I've really enjoyed uh, the, the passages and the messages. And I think this uh, passage goes right in line with not only what followed, but what's going to, what couldn't before this, but what's going to follow afterwards as well. Luke 17, beginning at verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them. Or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven and shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. 
and the, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in his house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. And likewise, the one in the, who is in the field, let him not turn back. Excuse me. Verse 35. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Verse 36. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So just starting going through the passage, we're going to look at the Lord's coming. And uh, as it is with many things about the Lord, it's, uh, it's intricate. There's, there's incredible detail. And we don't have the time to study uh, the, the prophets, the Old Testament, Daniel, uh, Revelation, Thessalonians. So we're going to have to hit high points of the Lord's return. Okay, But we also want to cover the major aspects and then see how it applies to us. So looking at verse 20 and 21... It just seems like everybody wants to talk about future events, right? Do you notice that? Does anybody know what's supposed to happen on December 21st of this year? Thank you. I like that response. That's about as much as it deserves. Supposedly, there's a Mayan calendar that says that's when the world's supposed to end. Which, when you stop and think about it, well, if the Mayans were so brilliant, they could predict the end of the world. How did they not keep their civilization alive? You know? The mind still exists as people, but, you know, so. Yeah, okay. Thanks, thanks, John. But the reality is, that's what people have spread a rumor, and if you look into it, it's not even what the Mayan calendar says. But people are thinking about it, aren't they? I've noticed, have you noticed in movies? There's always been books and now movies. It's like since the last 15 years, you see one or two every couple years coming out about the end times. You know, Armageddon and the day after, and uh, I try to remember the names of all of them. 2012 is the name of one of them. And we'll see a clip from that later. People are fascinated with the end times, aren't they? Future events. Even the Pharisees are fascinated with them. And so they ask Jesus. They at least respect his opinion enough to ask him that. So they ask him when the kingdom of God would come. You see, they also want to know about the kingdom of God. But actually what they're saying is more of an insult. Here Jesus has come. He's done things no one else has ever done. And everything that was foretold about him, he's done it. You know, he ruined every perfectly good funeral he showed up at. People just couldn't stay dead around him. Rise, get up, 
He even waited a couple, three or four days. All right, you can, Lord, he stinks. <laughs> well, I've got this. I'm the resurrection and the life. You see, he's the one who could touch the leper, and he doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. That's Jesus. That's who he is. And he's come, and he's fulfilled everything that the Messiah was supposed to do. The Messiah was to be their king. And so they look at him, and they go, okay, Jesus, so when's the kingdom coming? You know, the king? It's really an insult what they're saying. What are they saying is, well, we, we know you're some kind of teacher or whatever, but when's the, when's the king coming? The king was standing right in front of them, and they didn't even recognize him. Now, too often that's true, isn't it, with, our, with ourselves today? The Lord made the truth so simple and so obvious. He puts it right in front of us, and we're going like this. Well, where is it, Lord? I'm waiting for this big, you know, flash. Right? That's why Jesus tells him. It doesn't come with observation. It's not going to come. Well, we used to have something called newspapers. Does anyone here know what a newspaper is? Okay, good. We're not completely dated yet. I knew those were going away quick. Right? It's not going to be on the headlines of the newspaper, Jesus is saying. It's not going to be on the front page of your home page or, or in Google or in YouTube. You see? Jesus had done everything he was supposed to do. But this is what it says about Jesus, and I love this. This is a description of Isaiah of how Jesus would come. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. Or cause his voice to be heard in the street. I like that. That's the way he came. Yeah, he came into Jerusalem and it was a parade. He was riding on a donkey. The, a colt, a foal of a donkey. Lowly is how he's described. He says, I am gentle and lowly at heart. You see? They're waiting for the big fanfare. The Messiah who's going to kick out the Romans. No. God wanted to speak to them about their hearts. You see... What God wants to deal with first is the sin in our lives. That's our biggest and greatest need. And that doesn't take fanfare. You know what it takes? Letting God speak to your heart. He's saying, you know what? Ever since his creation, it speaks to us. He gave us a conscience that speaks to us. And now even the Spirit of God is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he's saying, are you listening to me? I'm already speaking to you. I like that when, when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son, the living God. What did Jesus say? My Father has revealed this to you, Peter. See, God was speaking to Peter. And Peter was listening. I was always listening. But he was listening sometimes, listening that time. But the Pharisees weren't there. They weren't listening. They had the king right in front of them. And they're saying, where's the kingdom? Where is it? Where's, the, where's the, when's the king coming? So that's where Jesus says, verse 21, for indeed the kingdom of God, it says, is within you. It's, it's probably better to translate amongst you. Again, this is, if, you know, at some point you think if you're Jesus, can't you see? I'm right here. But he's not like that. If you choose not to see, he won't make you see. If you choose not to realize you're a sinner, 
who's headed for hell, you're that bad, and that you really don't have, you might know about Christ like they did, but you don't have a personal relationship with him, like what we're going to talk about here and going to be with him, he's not going to make you. He's incredibly humble, gracious that way. He doesn't force anyone. See, God wants a relationship based on what? Love. And love is a choice. He will not make you choose him. He puts that in front of you to choose for yourself. They hadn't taken care of their current need, accepting their king the the first time he came. And that's it. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, if you've not been born again, if you haven't come into a personal relationship with Christ, this is kind of where it starts and stops with you. Jesus is already in front of you. If you live in this country, if you're here at this meeting and with the, the, the dozens of people in this room who could share the gospel with you, that's the most important thing you need to hear and you need to accept. And if you're honest with your heart of hearts, when God is speaking to you in your heart, you'll go, yeah, you're right. I've heard about Jesus and I maybe have done the church thing for a while, but I don't have a personal relationship with him. Jesus says, I'm already right in front of you. You need to come to me. When? When's the best time to do that? Well, I like what 2 Corinthians 6 says. It says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Okay, well, going on from there, verses 22 and 23, it's interesting to me, That the future events, that the Lord, it's the Pharisees who ask, but the Lord follows up with his disciples. The Lord follows up with his disciples, and he wants to talk to them about future events. And that's the way the Lord is. If you're his, you get to see and know more. You're in the family. And he, he, he um, reveals more to you. Thanks, y'all. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. He says in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go after them. Follow them. You see, ever, even actually before Jesus came and ever since then, there's been false Christs. It's, it's not a very good Google search, but I happened to look up a couple today, and they're still going on today. People who literally call themselves the Messiah. And worse yet, they actually have people who will sit there and testify and follow them. So if you're thinking, who in the world could ever do something like that? And I saw what their presentation was, and I was still thinking that, and I saw the testimonies of people being duped, being tricked, and following them. It does happen today. Some of us old enough remember... Uh, the Branch Davidians and David Koresh and, and, and others who have, and horrible things that have happened in the name of being the Messiah. But the reality is, the Lord is coming. And there's a, there's a series of events. And I'm going to show you where most of these events lie. But for every true believer in this room, the best news is, in this topic, is you don't have to go through a lot of what we're going to talk about. 
That first word up there is called the rapture. It's to be taken up. It's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to turn to all the passages. I would love to do that, but we've got so much to cover, I can't. I'm more than happy to talk to you about it afterwards. But the rapture is a, is a, uh, a reality, a future event, where the Lord who is left is going to come back. And, and there's going to be a, a sound of a trumpet, and those of us who are alive are going to be caught up with the Lord, but we're not first. All those who know the Lord Jesus, who are dead, they're going to go first. And then we who are alive are going to go with them. And then we're going to be changed. This old, beat-up, sin-racked body gets a new body. It's changed. Amen. It gets changed. Okay? The Lord says... I like what he says to the two prophets in Revelation. He says, come up here. You know what? I think it's going to be a voice when we hear it. It's just going to be the most natural voice in the world for us to hear. It'll be that same voice that we never heard, but we heard all the time speaking to us. You know what I mean? Come up. Come home. And then Jesus is going to take the church, all the true believers that are alive on earth today, and he's going to bring them up into heaven. It's called the rapture. The next event on the uh, future events uh, scale is called the tribulation, or the great tribulation. It's talked about in see, Matthew and uh, Daniel and... Uh, Revelation, other books. What you have happening in the tribulation, the great tribulation, is you have seven years. Most of us believe after Jesus uh, takes the church, you're going to have an absence of the Spirit of God present in believers. Then you're going to have the man of sin, who's also called the Antichrist. He's going to be revealed. Okay, He's going to have a false prophet. Both of them are, are powered by Satan himself. Okay, so what you have there is an unholy trinity. And he's going to be revealed, but at the same time, God is going to pour out judgment after judgment after judgment. You see, so the church is gone, all the true believers are gone, and then you have the world in seven years of judgment from God. And you think, well, well as soon as God does something, people will repent, right? No, it says that they won't. They will not repent nor give glory to God. These judgments will be things like, and it says in Revelation, a mountain being thrown into the sea as if it were on fire. Incredible earthquakes destroying all the cities. Uh, it says lightnings, thunders, and a hailstone that's 100 pounds. Can you imagine? Now, we saw Katrina... We saw Sandy. Stacey and I were watching the um, videos of the tsunami in uh, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, and that area. Just incredible. It's going to be nothing like it, like it is at the end. And the Lord's going to do intensifying judgments. Why? He's giving people opportunity to repent. But it says they will not. They will not. He's sending up people to preach the gospel... And many are not. Some are getting saved. Some are getting saved. Many are not. A 
I've got that in bold because this is primarily the time that Jesus is talking about. Between here and there. Christ's second coming. He's coming back. So, so you get the events. We're here. We meet the Lord in the air. The church does. We're gone with the Lord for seven years. Judgment happens to the earth. The Antichrist is revealed. He is worshipped like God and being empowered by Satan and, and dwelled by Satan. He'll, Satan will get what he's always wanted, to be worshipped like God, to show himself that he is God, though he, he claims to be God, but he's not, obviously. And then Jesus comes back. And we come back with him. That's the difference. In the scriptures, the rapture, we go to be with Jesus. In the second coming, we come back with him to reign, to war, and to reign. But it's not much of a war. I mean, when it's Jesus, there's not much of a battle. He has all the power. It's, it's not even a, an, act, I mean, it's an activity, but it doesn't last very long. It's not like a guess, well, we have to see who's going to win here. Let's throw the dice. No, Jesus wins. I got the end result for you folks. I already know the, the end before the beginning. Jesus wins. There you go. He comes back with the saints. And you have the faithful who went through the tribulation. And that's what we're going to see here in a second. They stay on the earth. And all the Lord's enemies, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they're all, those two specifically, are taken and thrown into the lake of fire alive. Satan himself is chained, put him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And Jesus himself, and us with him, he comes and he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. What a different place that's going to be, huh? I'm sorry, but to me, that's exciting. This world, as you see it, will not be the same. It will be completely different. And just like when all the believers were gone, there wasn't a saved person on here, when Jesus comes back, there will only be saved people. There are only those who know him and love him, who are reigning with him and are subject to him. There's your kingdom, Pharisees. But see, you don't get that until you're saved. You don't understand it. Even right now, you might be struggling with understanding that. You've got to come into a personal relationship with Christ first. And that'll make a lot more sense to you. Well, before we go on to the, uh, the, um, the, the rest of the passages, I wanted to remind us of something we were introduced to not too long ago. Oh, wait, one last thing. Forgot two more, two more, two more aspects of future events. After, after Christ's second coming, he reigns for a thousand years. After a thousand years, he, he allows Satan to be loosed out of the bottomless pit. And this is an incredible thought. Jesus will be reigning himself on the earth. And, for, and over that thousand years, people who are living under perfect rule will still turn away from him. That's amazing. You know, if you look at the ages of how God does things, he's given man every single chance, including coming and reigning himself. And we still rebel against him. So after a thousand years, Satan is loosed. He organizes a rebellion against the Lord. And it, again, it's, it doesn't last long. Fire comes down from heaven. And completely, the enemies are completely wiped out. And that's what we have next is the eternal state. The eternal state, right there. That's the new heaven, the new earth. 
New Jerusalem. Like the way it's talked about in Revelation, if I can read just a verse real quick. We're going to talk about something exciting to look forward to. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Oh, by the way, after the millennial reign and the last rebellion is crushed, Jesus judges everybody who doesn't know him. And again, it's not like there's a lawyer in escape clauses, he has all the evidence. And he has perfect judgment. There is no getting out on a technicality. It's the great white throne judgment. It said it's so fearful, the old heaven and earth, we want to flee away. This is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, which I know the kids club's been looking at. The whole heaven and earth want to flee away, but they can't run. Where are you going to run? Jesus, who's been so gracious and given us so many opportunities to come to know him, says, okay, now that's it. And your name's not written in the book of life. And that person is cast into the lake of fire. In verse 21, ver- uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the particular verse that that means so much to me at times. Not that all the rest of that doesn't, because it does. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It's why we call it the eternal state. It's where it ought to be. It's what we would call heaven. And it's the way it should be for the, for the rest of time. There's no more. And all the no more is all no more bad things. That's the eternal state. Well, like I said, these two highlighted sections, tribulation, the great tribulation, Christ's second coming, that's mostly what today's passage is talking about. Okay, The rapture is yet to happen. We believe the rapture will happen first, and then after that, that's when these things will start to happen in, those, in that succession. Seven years for this, the last half of that is called a great tribulation as it intensifies. Christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years, and then the eternal state. The interesting thing about it is, well, I have a, I have a little illustration, a way I'd like to think about it. Say you were an orchestra. Say you're at a, a play. And you hear the orchestra. You get there early. You hear the orchestra warming up. And maybe you're familiar with the play. And maybe you hear them kind of practicing this tune and practicing that tune. And they're kind of practicing as they go along. But you know you're there early. And you know if they're practicing those tunes, eventually 
the orchestra quiet, the lights dim, and then what? The curtain goes up, right? And then the first act starts, you see? And that's what I think we see today. The Lord's trying to get our attention today. And if there's anything else I can get through to you this morning, I think the Lord wants to get through to all of us. And he's spoken to me about, this is all his. It's his stage, as it were. It's not ours. He has given it to all of us, and one day, he's going to take it all back. You see? And in the meantime, he's given us, I believe, gracious, gracious warnings. The storms that we've seen. You know, they're calling it the storm of the century. You know how often that, that phrase has been used lately? I'm not 100 years old, and I've heard it at least a couple of times. They're saying now the storm of the century seems to be happening every couple of years. Okay? We also have something called NEOs. We'll call it NEO for short. I think we were introduced to these a couple months back. Maybe some of you here aren't familiar with them. Does anyone remember what NEO stands for? Near-Earth Object. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, it's a near-Earth Object. This is not a joke. I'm going to read to you something from NASA. And again, this isn't meant to, 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 to scare you, but just tell you the reality of what life is like here on Earth. This is NASA's website. Um, the title of the webpage is Target Earth. On a daily basis, about 100 tons of interplanetary material drifts down to the Earth's surface. You know, you get your miscellaneous little rocks and comets, or rocks and little, you know, things that are out there that fall through that basically melt before you see anything. Every shooting star you see is something like that, and it, it comes and it drops to the surface eventually, right? The vast majority of the larger interplanetary material that reaches the Earth's surface originates as the collision fragments of asteroids that have run into one another some eons ago, with an average interval of about 100 years. Oh, excuse me. With an average interval of about 100 years, rocky or iron asteroids larger than 50 meters, or about, it's about 160 feet, 165 feet, would be expected to reach the Earth's surface and cause local disasters or produce the tidal waves that can, that can inundate low-lying coastal areas. That's happened, by the way. It's happened in Russia, uh, and I think it was India. No, it was actually it was the Mediterranean. They almost thought it would set off the Indian-Pakistani war because it seemed like a nuclear bomb and it happened in the air. Again, this is not fiction. This is reading from NASA's website. And this is happening over the last decades. On an average, every few... On an average of every few hundred thousand years or so, asteroids larger than a kilometer, or over half a mile, could cause global disasters. In this case, the impact debris would spread throughout the Earth's atmosphere so that plant life would suffer from acid rain, partial blocking of sunlight, and from the firestorms resulting from heated impact debris raining back down upon the Earth's surface. That's starting to sound like some of these sci-fi movies, because those movies were based on fact. Since their orbital paths often cross that of the Earth, collisions with near-Earth objects, NEOs, have occurred in the past, and we should remain alert to the possibility of future close Earth approaches. It seems prudent to mount efforts to discover and study these objects to characterize their, size, their sizes, compositions, and structures 
to keep an eye upon their future trajectories. So there's been a launch, a group to keep an eye on these and look for them. Because of the ongoing search efforts to find nearly all large NEOs, which there's about 1,300, and these are all uh, 20 times closer to us than the sun is. So to be one of these, you have to be a certain size, and you have to be 20 times closer to us than the sun. Great care must be taken to verify any earth collision predictions that are made, given the extremely unlikely nature of such a collision. Almost all of these predictions will turn out to be false alarms. However, if an object is verified to be on an earth colliding trajectory, it seems likely that this collision possibility will be known several years prior to the actual event. Given several years warning time, existing technology could be used to deflect the threatening object away from the earth. The key point in this mitigation process is to find the threatening object years ahead of time so that an orderly international campaign can be mounted to send spacecraft to the threatening object. One of the techniques suggested for deflecting an asteroid includes nuclear fusion weapons set off above the surface to slightly change the asteroid's velocity without fracturing it. Okay, so we just got the whole storyline of one of those movies. It came from here. And this is NASA, and they're not joking. And you're going to see a pattern with all of this. You're going to see a pattern of what God has already put in place and what man, outside of God, tries to do about it. Uh, I know this is very serious, but some of it can't help but be um, slightly amusing. So they're going to try to not break it up, just jolt it so it kind of, if it's on a trajectory, just jolt it so it moves and the earth moves past it and it just misses us. That's the idea. A very modest velocity change in the asteroid's motion, acting over several years, can cause the asteroid to miss the Earth entirely. However, the trick is to gently nudge the asteroid out of harm's way and not to blow it up. This latter option, though popular in the movies, only creates a bigger problem when all the pieces encounter the Earth. And then they talk about solar sails to change the trajectory, and then it goes on to say in conclusion, no one should be overly concerned about an Earth impact of an asteroid or comet. So now you're not overly concerned, right? <laughs> the threat to any one person from auto accidents, disease, other natural disasters, and a variety of other problems is much higher than the threat from NEOs. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> That's not making me feel better. Over long periods of time, however, the chances of the Earth being impacted are not negligible. So that some form of NEO insurance, NEO insurance is warranted. You got an insurance company that's going to pay for that? I don't, I don't know if anyone's going to pay for that one. Listen to this. This is the clincher. At the moment, our best insurance rests with the neo-scientists and their efforts to first find these objects and then track their emotions into the future. We need to first find them and keep an eye on them. Is that making you feel better? No. That's not your best insurance for these near-Earth objects that do exist. They're classified also as uh, PHAs, potentially hazardous asteroids, okay? They do exist. There's over 1,300 logged, and it's increasing. The number changed from August to when I checked last night, okay? It's increasing. They're seeing more. They didn't even catch the one that hit in Russia. But if we catch it years ahead of time, we can do something about it. Do you see what the man's mindset is? I can save myself. 
You know what Jesus is telling you today? No, you can't. It's a bigger problem than you can handle. We have to make up movies and concepts and call it insurance. The only insurance you have from anything like this is in a person. The creator of the universe who holds all these things in the palm of his hand without a problem. That's your only insurance. Jesus himself. Back to the scriptures. Verses, 20, verses 24 and 25. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven, out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. It's going to be completely different. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be completely different. His first coming versus his second coming, just in a few, few aspects. It was localized before. Next time, it's going to be the whole world's going to see him. It was localized just to that area, to Palestine. He comes back, the whole world's going to see him. If it's specific to the Jews, the future, it's going to be all the nations going to see him. Either for, it's, he says, I'm going to have the nations before me as one separates the sheep from the goats. Either you know him or you don't. It's not going to be about nationalities. It's going to be about a relationship with him or not. He came as a humble infant. They were surprised at how humble they, he came. Although they did know. Remember, Herod said, oh yeah, Christ, he's going to be born over there. But they still wouldn't bow the knee. It's not going to be like that next time. When he comes next time, he's coming as a conquering, a conquering king. You want an exciting read? Read the last four chapters of Revelation. Read the last four chapters, say, or five or six. Enjoy. Jesus wins. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to wrap it all up. The first time he came, he came to save us from sin. We deserve to die. We deserve to be punished for our sin. When he comes the second time, he comes to judge sin comes the judge sin. This is the period of grace. Now, that's why now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. It's because then it's too late. It's too late. I love what it says in verse 24. So also the Son of Man will be in his day. That's going to be Jesus' day. Today isn't Jesus' day. You go out, you try to talk about Jesus at work, and people just cringe with your neighbors. The last thing they want to talk about is Jesus. That day, everyone's going to talk about Jesus. That's his day. It's his day. Verses 26 and 27, he talks about what it's going to be like when he comes back. Again, this is that second coming after the tribulation. The Antichrist and, and, and Satan's being worshipped like he wanted. Jesus comes back. He describes here what's going to happen. Verses 26 through 30 and 34 through 37. We have a brief clip, just a minute clip, to show you what it's not going to be like.
What's the moral of that clip? You just saw that clip and that clip only. What does that tell you about those people in that car and that plane? It's going to be bad, but what? They'll make it okay. That's not what it's going to be like. That's Hollywood's rendition, and really, if you think about it, it's Satan back to say, you're not that bad. Don't worry, it's going to be bad. You're going to be okay. You stick it out and you fight back. You fight through it. Let me give you the words of Jesus. Verse 27. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 29. Fire and brimstone from heaven. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. See, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be pretty bad and you're going to escape. It's all the Lord's. You would sooner set up a board game, play the board game, and then watch that. What's that on the Monopoly pieces? There's a little dog and a little, little uh, what's that, a little uh, cannon or something like that. They would sooner get up legs and run away from you when you try to put them way back in the box. You see? Because the Lord sets up the board. And when he's done, he puts it all back in the box. It's his all, he, all of this is his. And he puts it away when he's done. And, and no one's going to escape. There's not going to be an asteroid being blown up or, or other things like this. And people aren't even going to re- realize it. Like it says here, their personal lives aren't going to change. Their business lives aren't going to change. They're going to marry and be given to marriage and eat and drink and buy and sell, plant and build. And Jesus is going to come back just like he said he would. And that ignoring of him won't be tolerated any longer. People will have close relationships. See that in verses 34 through 37? It says two men in one bed. Maybe they're brothers. They've got to be close people. One's taken, one's left. The one that's taken, by the way, is taken to judgment. It's not the rapture, by the way. People get confused in this passage. This is not talking about the rapture. That one taken is taken to judgment as an enemy of Christ. That one stays who's alive goes through the millennial reign. The blessed relationship with Christ for a thousand living through the millennial reign. It's also interesting to note that it says that night in verse... 34, I tell you, in that night, and it talks about in, there's people sleeping, there's, there's people doing work, and the people out in the field. What does that tell you? It might be night in Jerusalem or somewhere else, but God's dealing globally. These people are in the day during the field. These people are in bed sleeping. These people are doing other work over here on the other side of the earth. The Lord's taking care of the whole earth at one time. What's our application today? Let's look at that. Verses 31 through 33. And that day he was on the housetop, and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses it will preserve it. What should our mindset be in a time like this? Well, Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. Why are you worried about the stuff? I'm coming back, you see? But he's challenged each of our hearts, isn't he? How much does this stuff mean to you? How much does that future, other future event 
which was more important to you than Jesus coming back. Where's our mindset? See, something happened to Lot's wife. Lot was taken out of Sodom with his wife. They were told not to look back. What did she do? She looked back. Why did she look back? See, I think it's this. You can take Lot's wife out of Sodom, but she couldn't get Sodom out of herself. You see? Her heart was still back there. The Lord spoke to her and says, you need to follow me. We're, we're gone. You see? Yeah. She didn't know the Lord. Lot had witnessed to Sodom and Gomorrah. Noah had witnessed to his neighbors. Now it was too late. What's our mindset? This is just passing through. The Lord's going to put all this back in the box. So whatever seems important to you at the time, it's not really that important. It's all going away. Jesus is coming back. He's the most important one. And he's going to set things up the way he, he wants it to go. He says, don't even go back inside for the stuff. Lose your life. Forget about this world. This is not the important world. It's his and the world to come. So, he says, remember Lot's wife. They have a pillar in Palestine. They call it Lot's wife just because it's in that general area and it's the general shape of a person. And that's a picture of it. Again, what's our application? Well, if you're unsaved, I'm going to tell you right now, get saved. Come to know the Lord. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Two reasons. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. My class valedictorian high school died at 17 a few months before we graduated. My dad died at 44. I think that should encompass the whole room. Everyone here is about that age almost. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Sure, Jesus is coming, but even sooner than that, you could go see him tonight. Please, please get saved. Come into that life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ where he changes you from the inside out. Also, it says, many of us believe very specifically that those who are alive when the rapture happens, that you have that chance before the rapture to receive the love of the truth. But if you don't receive it now, and your sin's holding you back, you're not going to be able to believe after the rapture. God's going to send a strong delusion. I don't know what it's going to be. could be things that look like aliens. could be something the Antichrist does. I don't know what it's going to be. But God is not going to let... God's not going to be mocked. He's saying now is the time to be saved. Choose now. Just like the Neos are no joke, judgment is even more certain. Please, get saved. Come to the Lord Jesus today. As believers, what do we do? As believers, what do we do? If you're already saved, I want to propose one thing. If you're already saved, I kind of hope you do nothing. I hope you do nothing different. And I'll tell you why that is. I'll read a story to you. It's a story worth reading. It's called A Light Named Al. Anybody heard this story? A Light Named Al. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, Janine Braca switched on the television to check the weather report, only to hear that a plane had just hit the World Trade Center. 
Janine's husband, Al, worked as a corporate bond trader for Cantor Fitzgerald. His office was on the 105th floor, Tower One. Al had survived the World Trade Center bombing in 1993 and had even helped a woman with asthma escape from the building. Janine knew that Al would do the same thing this time. I knew he would stop to help and minister to people, she said, but I never thought for a minute that he wouldn't be coming home. A week later, like so many others who were in that building, Al's body was found in the rubble. Al's wife, Janine, and his son, Christopher, were devastated. Then the reports began to trickle in from friends and acquaintances. Some people on the 105th floor had made a last call or sent a final email to loved ones saying that a man was leading people in prayer. A few referred to Al by name. Al's family learned that Al had indeed been ministering to people during the attack. When Al realized that they were all trapped in the building and would not be able to escape, Al shared the gospel with a group of 50 co-workers and led them in prayer. This news came as no surprise to Al's wife, Janine. For years, she and Al had been praying for the salvation of these men and women. According to Janine, Al hated his job and couldn't stand the environment. It was a world so out of touch with his Christian values. But he wouldn't quit. Al was convinced that's where God wanted him to stay. To be a light in the darkness. Al was not ashamed of Christ and Christ's words. And he paid the price of taking up his cross daily. Al shared his faith with his co-workers, many of whom sarcastically nicknamed him the Rev. And on that fateful day on September 11th, in the midst of the chaos, Al's co-workers looked to him, and Al delivered. At the same time, Al, too, tried to get a phone call through to his family. He asked an MCI operator to contact his family. Tell them that I love them, he said. It took the operator more than a month to reach the Bracas, but the message brought them much-needed comfort. The last thing my dad did involved two things most important to him, God and his family. I hope for some, I hope for many of us, nothing changes. I hope you're exactly where the Lord wants you to be. But Charlie, that could be corporate America, you know, the evil corporate America. You know what? There is people in Caesar's palace who are saved. God says, you remain in the calling of which you've been called. God wants to use you where you are at. It might not look like it for a while, but God used Al. And that's all you need to do as a believer to be prepared for Jesus' coming. Walk with him today. Do what he wants you to do today. We were talking about that in the Josh class. If there's sin, deal with it. Deal with it harshly. Put it away. Jesus is coming. People are dying without Christ. Things are going to be happening. and You have to be in fellowship with him for him to use you. Walk with him today. I hope in some senses, nothing changes in your life because you're right where the Lord wants you to be, doing exactly what he wants you to do. Filled with the Spirit, serving the Lord. It does say in 1 John, when we see him, we'll be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Wow. I I can't even begin to, I don't know, I can't even try to imagine what that's going to be like. It's exciting. The next verse says this, and everyone who has this hope 
purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now, if you're like me and not everything's right, some changes need to be made, do it. Make those changes. Regret is not what you want to see. It's not what you want to have when you see Jesus. I think when it says he's going to wipe away every tear, it's for a reason. It's for a reason. So I ask you this morning, if you know the Lord, are you walking with him? Are you in full fellowship with him, with this assembly or some assembly somewhere, being a part of a body, actively serving the Lord, putting to death sin, anxious for his appearing? He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you. Thank you for the reality, Lord, that you win. When it's all said and done, you win. And that you are coming back. Lord, you, you won at the cross and we're so thankful for that. We'd be lost and on our way to hell without that, Lord. And here you've left us. And as you, as you say in this next chapter, you want us to persevere in prayer so that when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Oh, Lord, let it be us. Let it be those here in this room who truly know you who set aside the weights and the sins that so easily beset us. And we run with endurance that race you set before us until you come back. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that they wouldn't uh, be put off by what might be perceived as scare tactics, but they would realize, Lord, this is all yours. You're coming back and they need to know you. Lord, speak to their hearts. Lord Jesus, we say we love you. And we say with the, uh, the, with the writer of Revelation in the ending verses, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.